Good morning, Grace Fellowship. Wonderful to be with you this morning. Isn't it a great gift to worship our God? Amen. Um, so, so blessed to have the team that we have lead us into the presence of God. So um, if you weren't with us during announcements, I'm just going to hit two important dates real quick, and then I'm going to ask you to pray with me. So the first one, um, remember, is expand a dream, plan a church, transform the region. Planning a church, Alex and Shannon Gilbert will be hosting a vision night, and that's on October 6th at 7 o'clock in the mini auditorium. And we ask again, if you live in the region of York and you're traveling far from north, you prayerfully consider being a part of this incredible team um, that God is putting together. So that's the first one. And then the second one has to do with, again, the transformation of the region part, um, which now three churches are becoming six churches. And remember, we're together next Sunday, which is the 29th at 4 o'clock at Suburban High School. We understand it's a change of time, and we have no idea what to expect. We have no idea what God's going to do. But we just ask you to please consider coming out and being with us, because if it's anything like it was last time, it's going to be through the roof. Amen? All right. At least one of us agrees. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, so I'm excited to tell you this morning that you have been given a soul. And the soul is the deepest part of you. You are not a human being having a spiritual experience. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. And this means that the spirit that you have is the deepest part of you, and you've been given a soul, and that soul is like a garden, and that garden needs to be tended to. And so the Lord longs for us this morning to tend to that garden a little bit together. So are you longing for um, Jesus to kind of invade your soul a little bit more this morning? Let me pray to that end. Father, we thank you for the gift of this time. We praise you, Lord, that you are faithful. I acknowledge before you that I have nothing to offer in and of myself, but I have you, and you are everything. So, Lord, we ask now that you would speak to us in our spirits, in our souls, Lord, that you would break through with your word in the way that only you can do, that we would surrender ourselves more fully to you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your faithfulness to us and that your mercies are new every morning. We pray this all in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, we began this series now last week called Growing Deeper Still. If you have not yet received a booklet and you'd like to have one, please raise your hand and one of the ushers will get you one. We have a couple up here, a couple on the back there. Keep your hands up, please, until you get one and uh, the ushers will get you a booklet. Okay, so... I hope that you're spending some time in the Word of God at home and trusting the Lord to lead you in a deeper understanding of how to become a disciple for Him. Um, remember, this, this whole series is about us growing deeper into the soil of God's love, that our roots like a tree would grow deep into the soil of God's love. Why? So that after having done everything, we can stand. Um, I don't know about you, but um, I think there's some really tough time coming. Any, anybody think that? Anybody believe that? Like, like we're in them now, but things are getting darker. The days are getting darker and darker and darker and darker and darker. And I really believe this in my heart. Only those of us who are deeply rooted in Christ Jesus will, after having done anything, will stand. I, I'm seeing people fall away. I'm seeing people um, profess that they no longer believe. I'm seeing people um, buy into doctrines of wickedness. Are you seeing this in the culture? So, you know, what we're, what we're saying is that God make us deep, deeply rooted people. 
because deeply rooted trees do not come up easily. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever tried to pull up a deeply rooted tree. <laughs> Tracy and I have a couple in our, in our little garden area in the front there that we've been trying to get up for over a year now. And they weren't really big trees, but man, those roots were deep. And I think we just need to call somebody because we've been hacking at them for the longest time and the things don't want to come up. That's what you're supposed to be like. You're supposed to be so deeply rooted in Christ that you will not give up, that you will not come up, that you will stand. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. How many of you want to be like an oak of righteousness? Well, then you're in the right place. Richard Foster, who happens to be one of my favorite authors, his book Celebration of Discipline was life-changing for me. He wrote this, the desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people. It's not for a greater number of gifted people but for deep people rooted in Christ. As we grow deeper in the Lord, we become stronger. And then as the scripture says in Ephesians 4, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. You live in a world that is filled with deceitful scheming. And yet your God is the one who delivers you. He who lives in you is greater than he who is in the world. So last week we talked about the parable of the sower. And we talked about the different types of soil that are in your heart. You know, you can have a hardened heart as a result of distractions and deception. But we, we talked about that last soil that Jesus talked about being the humble heart. And that's the heart that receives the seed, the word of God, and acts upon that seed. Today, we're going to talk about resting in the Lord. We divide it into categories, these two categories, what trees need. Because remember, trees just really spend a line soaking up the goodness of God. That's what they do. A tree, it's an expert at being. It soaks up sun, it soaks up water, it soaks up nutrients. Not nutrients, that's an interesting word. <laughs> nutrients. It soaks up nutrients. Like It needs stuff to be a tree. It needs stuff to grow strong. And you need stuff too. I need stuff too. You need God. I need God. And so as we kind of soak in his word and bathe in his presence and receive the gift of his fellowship and his people, God grows us into these strong oaks of righteousness. So what we need to do is rest in the Lord so that we can risk in the Lord. Listen, last week we learned that trees need wind to grow. Isn't that cool? You never would think that, right? But a tree will not grow big and strong unless it has resistance. How many of you experience resistance in your daily lives? Okay, you have everything you need. Thank you, Jesus, for the resistance that causes my roots to grow deep in you. Or do you get derailed by the resistance? Do you become fearful because of the resistance? You trust the Lord, that the Lord is using the resistance? We're going to talk about that today. But we divided these into resting and risking. Why? So that we can be formed in the image of Jesus, so then we can be found in God by others. So we rest in God, so we can risk in God, in order to be formed by God, so we can be found in God by others. The resting and the risking are the roots of the tree, and the formed and the found are the fruit of the tree. Can you say this little phrase with me? We rest in God so we can risk in God. 
in order to be formed by God so we can be found in God by others. You see, God has said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. So when you walk here on planet earth, people should see Jesus in you. And when they see Jesus in you, they're finding him. And you are letting your light so shine before men that they would see your good deeds and worship your Father in heaven. That's what the scripture says. That's the end game. You are an oak of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the splendor of his glory. You are to glorify God. You are to magnify God with your life. I don't know about you walking around the Walmart and the giant. Do you ever take time to look into the eyes of people around you? Do you ever see that the vast majority of us look dead inside? We're harried, we're haggard, we're running here and there, we're filled with angst in our hearts and in our minds, and we're consumed and engrossed by the things of this world. Jesus says, come away, come away, come away with me, my love. I love you so much. I want to deliver you from this mess. But frankly, some of us just like the mess. Why? Because we still have the illusion that we're in control. And you know what? We're not in control. God is in control. And when we surrender our control to God's control, our life gets a whole lot better. It gets a whole lot more exciting. The attacks come a lot more frequently. But everything the enemy does to you, son of God, daughter of God, is used for your good. It makes your roots grow deeper. We'll get there in a few minutes. But resting and risking is what we need to focus on now for the next few weeks. So for the next two weeks, we're going to focus on resting in the Lord. How many of you believe you need more rest? All right, now most of us, when we think of the word rest, we think about kicking back on the couch or laying on a beach somewhere. And that's a good kind of rest, amen? Yeah, but that's not the kind of rest we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the type of rest that defies location, that defies circumstance. We're going to talk about the kind of rest that you can walk in, the kind of rest that you can act in. This is a kind of rest that is deep within your soul. This is called soul rest. And Jesus clearly invites us to this. He says here in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. You know, I really got to stop here for a second. The NIV has a 1984 and like a different version. I've memorized most of my scriptures in the 1984 version. So when I post something up there, it's not often from the 1984, but those are the words that I'm reading. So just so you know, it's all God's word. Okay, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Can you say that with me? And you will find rest for your souls. Say it again. And you will find rest for your souls, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Like he's saying, I'm going to give you rest in the deepest part of your being. You are going to have a portable sanctuary of the soul that is consistently going to be in awe and reverence before God. And you're going to be singing hallelujahs on the inside, even when bombs are flying on the outside. Anybody want that? How many of you have ever been in a beautiful sanctuary? 
Like a place where you walk in and you just go, oh my gosh. I remember walking into the Basilica first time years and years ago in, uh, in Baltimore. Now, don't knock me. You know, oh, it's a Catholic place. You know what? It's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful place. And I'm sure there's people that go to the Basilica that love Jesus. There's people here that come every week who love Jesus, right? There's people that come here every week who don't love Jesus, right? <laughs> Somebody's got a little, little something going on now. I was okay. But, but like, here's the thing. Like, so, so here's the thing. Like, there is a thing called sacredness of space. There's a sacredness of place. We've kind of lost that in our culture. We kind of did away with all the ritual and all the liturgy, and we threw the baby out with the bathwater because sometimes we, we kind of go, well, no places are really sacred. No, there are places that are sacred. Can I tell you the most sacred place? It's your heart. It's like, it's like the basilica on steroids. I remember when I walked into the basilica, like, and, I, and I was like, I didn't want to speak. It was like you could hear a pin drop. It's just the way it was designed, and, it, and your sound kind of reverberated off of the walls in powerful ways, and you knew that this space was dedicated to holiness. So it is with your soul. God longs your soul to be a deep place of quiet and peace and rest. And Jesus says, come to me and I will give you soul rest. Now, he says a couple things that are really, really important here. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm going to go into the yoke a little bit this week, but next week we're going to be talking far more about that, okay? So you might have heard me talk about this in the past, but you know a yoke is a farming implement. It's placed on the shoulders of two animals and they, they pull that yoke together. And Jesus says, come yoke yourself with me because I'm building my kingdom, now, by the way, he doesn't say, I'm going to come and yoke myself with you so you can build your kingdom. He doesn't say that. He says, come yoke yourself with me because I'm going, I'm moving, I'm the Lord, I'm God, I've created everything. You get a decision as to whether or not you're going to come, come to me. Now, I'm coming to you because I'm seeking you out, but I'm God and you're not. And so you're going to have to change and I'm not. That's the way the game goes because I'm God and you're not. Can you say that? He's God, He's God. and I'm not. Now, most of us wouldn't say we're God, but we sure act like it. So he says, look, you got to give up your ways and pick up my ways. you got to yoke yourself to me because I'm God and I know what I'm doing. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. But your trajectory is not in line with my love. The trajectory of your life apart from me is in line with death and destruction because you have been deceived. You've been born into sinfulness. You belong to the enemy until you come to me. People hate that. When you tell people about Jesus, this is the thing that bothers me. It's just so exclusive. Well, look, I, don't blame it on me. Talk to him about it. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said about himself, plus hundreds of other things that you cannot mistakenly walk away without knowing that this man is proclaiming that he is God. He says, look, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Here's something I want you to understand. Jesus wants to teach you how to rest. But your flesh does not want to rest. 
If you're in Christ Jesus, you have a new heart in you, and that heart longs to know the rest of the Lord. That heart longs to place itself and surrender itself in the Lord's capable care and to rest in who the Lord is. But you still have a flesh that rails against rest. You are rest-resistant. And the culture that you were born into is so incredibly anti-rest, you would not believe it. Everything around you cries that you have to work yourself into exhaustion just to be accepted, just to be loved. I have to morph and become whatever you want me to become so that you'll love me. The problem is we are looking for rest in all the wrong places. And Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Now look, the yoke for the rabbi was the way the rabbi interpreted the law. So we had the Torah, and the Torah was the law of the, law of the Lord, and on this law we meditated day and night. But just like today, many of the rabbis had different interpretations of the law. So if you studied under Gamel, you would take Gamel's yoke upon your shoulders. That meant that you would take upon you the way that he interpreted the law. Now listen to what Jesus says to the rabbis of the time. He says, you... Brood of vipers, you hypocrites, you are heaping burdens on people's backs that you can't even bear yourselves. Do you hear it? He's saying, you're preaching a heavy yoke. You're teaching people religion. You're teaching them to kind of do this dance of adaptivity so they can be accepted by God. But guess what? That will never be enough. That's the exhausting way of religion. If you practice religion like that, you will be exhausted. But Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and fed up with religion, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Why? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm not going to heap something on your back. I'm going to take it off. Just come to me. He says this repeatedly. If they just come to me, I would heal them. See, the problem is we don't come to Jesus. I'll get you this more later on, but we don't come to Jesus for a simple reason. We don't trust him. We trust in ourselves more than we trust in God. We'll get there. Jesus is talking about offering us a deep rest for our souls, a place of reverence and awe on the inside that cannot and will not be shaken by anything or anyone on the outside. Only one other place in Scripture do we hear these words verbatim. I will give you rest. It's when God is speaking to Moses. Now remember, you know who Moses was. He was this dude who was called to do these incredible things, like stand up against Pharaoh, lead God's people through the desert, right? God uses them to part the sea. Like, like, it's just amazing stuff, right? And he is just a dude, just like you and me. Well, you check, sorry, I'm like, I'm regressing back to like 1970 or something. <laughs> he is a man just like us. He's a person just like us. Let's listen to what Moses is saying here. Moses is feeling a lack of rest in his soul because of God's calling on him. God has put a calling on his life, and he's gone. I don't talk too well. I don't think I can do this. 
And so he decides that he's going to embark on a conversation with God by which he reminds God of things that God needs to know. Did you ever pray to God like that? God, can I please remind you? And God's like, what? I'm God. You don't have to remind me of anything, frankly. I know everything. I'm the one who needs to remind you. So listen, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me to lead these people, but you have not to let me know like, who you'll send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me, but if you're pleased with me, would you please teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. And then he goes this, remember, this nation is your people, God. This is in Exodus 33, verses 12 and 14. So Moses is feeling a little amped up in his soul. He's feeling a little anxious in his soul. Why? Because he's got this assignment from God that is impossible. And we talked about this in the first week of our vision cast, but do you have a white, hot dream from God, something that is impossible apart from him? So he says, God, you've got to teach me something here. Can I remind you, these are your people, God. Like, I don't really know what I'm doing. And this is the way the Lord replied to him. Moses, can I just stop for a second? Do you know when God says your name, it's the most endearing thing you can ever hear? You know where God just says your name to you? He says, Tom. He just says it with so much love. He says, Jeff. He says, Bob. He says, Chris. He calls you by name. And the Lord said, Moses. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Hear what he's saying? He says, Moses, your rest is not going to come from inactivity with me. Your rest is going to come as you walk in my presence with me. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest in the portable sanctuary of your heart while you are being used by me to achieve the impossible. That's the kind of rest that God longs for you to have. It's not a rest that has to do with inactivity, although we do disengage from activity to meet with the Lord. But this is a rest that we continue to walk in 24-7. It's what God longs for us to have on the inside. So I'm going to give you a definition of this kind of rest. Soul rest is shifting my attention to God long enough to claim, to claim in any given situation the presence, the promises, and the providence of God, which are already ours in Christ Jesus. I'm going to say that again. It's shifting our attention long enough to God. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second. I don't know what your devotional life is like, but I know as a pastor, I can have a very, very full schedule. My life can be consumed with busyness. I remember years ago, I was down at Timonium as a pastor there, and my friend Debbie Valley, I was running copies at the copier, and I was running like a, you know, a couple hundred copies for a, for a ministry team that I was leading that night, and you know, I've always done things like that. I run copies and stuff, and she comes up to me, and she goes, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm running copies. She said, why are you doing that? I said, well, I've got to get ready for tonight. She said, shouldn't you be off praying somewhere? And immediately, I was somewhat offended. Well, I'm just trying to do what I need to do here. But then I stopped. You know why? God said, she sees your role as more spiritual than you see your role. 
she thinks that rather than making copies in preparation for tonight, you should be in your prayer closet in preparation for tonight. See, a lot of us, we think that we can kind of get this in a five-minute devotional in the morning. And I'm not knocking a five or a 10 or a 15-minute devotional in the morning. Look, that's better than nothing. But that will not lead you to a place of rest. You need to be devoting yourself to the Lord throughout the day. You need to be chewing on His Word and in prayer and in fellowship throughout the week. You need to be trusting God to put aside more and more time to be with Him. Soul rest is shifting my attention to God long enough to claim, we'll get to that in a minute, in any given situation, the presence, the promises, and the providence of God. Listen, Jesus said this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Surely I am with you even to the very end of an age. Can you say this? God is with me. God is in me. God is for me. You see, it's like one thing for him to be with you, but you don't, if you don't know he's for you, then you've got a whole lot of other problems. He's for you. He's with you. He lives in you. He's taken up permanent... If you're in Christ Jesus, he's taken up permanent residence in your life. That's amazing. Jeff, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. His promises. He is the great I am. He says, I am good to keep every single promise that I have ever made to you. I am not going to back down. I will deliver on what I've promised. Now, here's a truth. You cannot know the promises of God unless you spend time in the Word of God. The Word of God is filled with promises, thousands of promises that are made just for you. Just for you. And so as you kind of let the Word of God be used by the Spirit of God to speak to you, these promises of God take up residence in your life. You know, i got to be honest with you. It's a miracle that I ever get to stand up here and talk to you. I mean, I'm a guy that should have been out on the streets years ago. I should be dead by now or institutionalized, and I am not blowing smoke. That's where I was headed. You know, 35, 36 years ago, I came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and he picked me up out of the muck and the mire, out of the slimy pit, and he put my feet down on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. But before that, oh my, riddled with alcohol and lust, my mind was one continuous lustful thought. I tell you, I was so lost I was so filled with anxiety in my life. It was amazing. Like, I, I literally didn't want to leave my house. I was this close to being agoraphobic to the point where I was home blocked. I couldn't even look at you in the eyes. I couldn't look at you in the eyes without dropping my eyes to the ground. I was so filled with shame. I was so filled with self-hatred. You know what Jesus did? He delivered me from that, Craig. He delivered me from that. He is the one who sets the captives free. He broke my chains. And he can break your chains too. So how do I get up here and speak to you each week? Here's his promise. Do not be afraid of what you will say. Because it's then that I will speak through you. Isn't that an incredible promise? How many of you are afraid of public speaking? Gosh, it's like the number one fear other than death. And what does Jesus say to you? When you die, you're coming home. When you die, you will be more alive than you've ever been before. (laughs) 
can't imagine what it's going to be like when I eject out of this earth suit. Oh my gosh, can you believe me? Can you imagine what that's going to be like? My soul is going to go pop out of this thing. This thing's going to fall on the ground. People around me will shed a few tears, but I don't want them to shed a whole lot. Why? Because I am doing better than I've ever done before. And all I'm doing is waiting for them. Because I'm with the Lord now. To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord is what the scripture says. That's a promise you can take to the bank. Can I tell you something? Those are the two number one fears of people in our culture, dying and public speaking. Jesus just took care of them both. You got to know his promises, man. You got to meditate on his promises. You got to commune with him and hear him speak these promises into your soul to set you free and to put you at rest. His presence, his promises, and his providence. This one perhaps is like my favorite. This is what he's saying. I'm in control. I will not let anything come to you that I will not use in your life. I I will use all things together for good in your life because you love me and you're called according to my purpose. In other words, Jeff, anything that comes to you, I'm going to use to make you stronger in me. I I mean, are you serious? This is such incredibly good news. Look, I've heard it said before that it must be awfully frustrating to be Satan in the life of a believer. You know why? Because everything you do for evil, God turns around for good. Can you imagine that little puny Satan guy? I mean, it's not puny to me. He's like 10,000 more times intelligent than I am. But according to my God, in comparison to my God, he is nothing. He is a puny runt, right? Say this, Satan is a puny runt. You know, he hates to be mocked. Don't you know that? You stick your tongue at him. Give him a raspberry. I'm going to tell you something. When he tries something evil in your life, and you are a son or a daughter of the Most High God, you know what God goes? Oh, i got a plan for that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make him love me even more. Satan's going to go, ah, crud. Can't do anything to touch them. And God says, that's right, they belong to me. I bought them back. I redeemed them with my blood. They belong to me. They are mine, and I am theirs. We are set apart. Oaks of righteousness, the planning of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That's who you are. So we have this deep and abiding rest from God that offers, that that requires us to shift our attention long enough to God to lay hold of what's already ours in Christ Jesus. You know the old hymn, don't you? Don't you love old hymns? Oh, they're filled with theology. You know this one? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Can you sing that again? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. So check it out, check it out, check it out. The things of this earth that get you wrapped around an axle, they become strangely dim in the light of God's glory and grace. We just need to fix our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is shifting our attention to God long enough, long enough 
to appropriate that which he's already given us. Today we're going to look at Psalm 62. And this psalm happens to be one of my new favorites. Of course, whenever I get in the Word of God, I find new favorites. But I've been meditating on this psalm for about four or five months now. And I want you to understand something. God's always speaking. He's always speaking to us. He spoke to me a week or two ago in a little meeting. We were having a Sunday services team meeting, and Alan Urban, one of our elders, said something. He said, we need to stop asking as much as we're asking, and we need to start declaring. We need to stop asking God, God, give me, God, God do this, God, do this, God, do this. When he's already given us these things, he's saying, you don't have to ask anymore. It's already yours. Just declare it. Just declare it. Claim it. Proclaim it. So we're going to look at a psalm where David never asks God for anything. He just proclaims the goodness of God. And the truths that are contained in it are absolutely life-changing. Life-changing. So I'm going to read the psalm. If you want to turn to it, it's Psalm 62. Um, I'm going to read like the whole thing. And I think it's in your booklet somewhere, but you, know, you can open your Bible or open your phone or whatever you do. The first part is absolutely the most important, (laughs) right out of the gate. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Selah. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Selah. Lowborn men are but a breath. Highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, listen, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard, that you, O God, are strong and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. Praise be to God for his word. So today we're going to look deeply at what David is claiming and proclaiming. And we're going to look even more specifically at who he's proclaiming it to. So these truths, I think that you can apply to your life very quickly. Here's the first one. You got to proclaim the truth of God to yourself. You have to. You know, um, we've talked about this before, but any counselor worth their salt knows that even if you talk to nobody else here on planet Earth, that you are consistently and insistently speaking to someone. It's to yourself. And you're doing it right now. You're talking to yourself right now. Here, let's try a little experiment. Stop thinking. Now you're thinking about stopping thinking. You're always telling yourself things. And if you look at the Psalms, David 
is talking to one of two people most of the time. First of all, he's talking to God. Second of all, he's talking to himself. Why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. Who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. So when you're a doobie-doo down-down, when you're feeling depressed, you can say the same thing. Why so downcast, oh my soul? It's a good question. Why I am in the weeds right now? Put your hope in God. So David says this, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. This is an incredible truth. And it's probably one of the most important truths that you can know. Because everything you tell yourself forms you. If you tell yourself this over and over and over and over again, God will use this to form you in a very important foundational truth. Your soul finds rest in God alone and nowhere else. Why is this so important that we tell ourselves this? Can you say this out loud with me? My soul finds rest in God alone. Say that. My soul finds rest in God alone. Say it again. Say it louder. My soul finds rest in God alone. Say it again. My soul finds rest in God alone. And again 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 and again. Why? Why is it so important that you say this over and over and over again to yourself? You know why? Because you look for rest in all the wrong places. And you expect rest from the people and places and things around you. You, th you expect that they're going to complete you. You look to other people. You look to material wealth. You look to your work. You look to your food. You look to alcohol. Some of you look to drugs. Some of you look to clothing. Some of you look to beauty. You fill in the blank. But you think the things of this world are going to complete you. You know why? Because I think the same thing. I know that about you. I've talked to enough of you. I've done a study, by the way, on the human race. Every single one of us is deceived. Do you know that? Every single one of us has an inclination to try and find life outside of a relationship with God. How many of you love vacations? You ever get on that vacation and you're like, I can't wait to get away. And then you get away and you get there and you realize that you took yourself with you. <laughs> Do you ever realize that? You're like, crap, I'm really not having that great of a time. What's the problem? And God's going, Psst, it's you. The problem is you. The vacation wasn't the answer. My soul finds rest in God alone. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. You see, so many of us are duped into thinking that the geographic cure is it. If I just get the right job, if I just make more money, if I just do this or just do that, or if I find the right person, then my soul will finally be at rest. No. No. The scripture is unabashedly proclaiming here that you have a soul and that your soul will only find rest in God alone, period. Listen to the words of God in Jeremiah 2.13. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Do you hear what God's saying to you here? He's saying, you're going to other places. You're prostituting yourself. I'm your lover. I'm the one who's bringing rest to you. 
but you're going out looking for rest in all the wrong places. You know, David, in the next psalm, you got to read these psalms together, 62 and 63. Listen to 63. Oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. If you read that psalm, underline that phrase. I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul, listen, will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Do you hear what David's saying? He's saying, look, I'm thirsting for you. I'm like a tree who lives in this parched land. I don't have any water, but my soul, it's thirsting for you, O spring of living water. But here's a really important thing he says. He says, for I live in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Child of God, do you know that you live in a dry and weary land where there's no water? Do you realize that 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 pay increase or that person that's coming into your life, they're not going to be water to you? Do you realize they're not going to give you what you're longing for deep in your soul? I'll never forget when Pat Goodman married Tracy and I over 28 years ago. He actually officiated our ceremony. I'm married to Tracy, not to Pat Goodman. That's a little officiant joke. When people come up and say, would you marry me? Frankly, no, I'm sorry, I can't. I'm already married. And yeah, ha, 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 ha. But you know, Pat said something really offensive to us both, and I loved him for it. You know, that sense of sweet conviction that comes when the Lord says something to you that offends you, and you go, oh, thanks, I needed that. I said it to every person I've ever married, ever officiated their ceremony, because it was just so profound. He said at the end of our service, he was doing a little, you know, message and stuff like that, and he said a lot of incredible things. God was speaking through him for sure. But he looked at me square in the eyes and he said, Jeff, as much as you love Tracy and as much as she loves you, she'll never be enough for you, Jeff. And the best thing you can do for Tracy is to love Jesus Christ with all your heart. She looked at Tracy and he said, Tracy, I know you love Jeff and he loves you and that's a lot and I know it's awesome, but Tracy, Jeff will need be enough for you and you'll never be enough for him. The best thing you can do for Jeff is to love Jesus Christ with all your heart. How many on the dating websites, you know, when people write, I'll never be enough for you, but I'd love to meet you. (laughs) Don't you think we're getting duped in our culture into thinking that we're going to meet just the right person and then we're going to be made complete? Until you get on the other side of marriage and you realize, what's going on here? I've told the joke before, but I have to tell it again. Larry Crabb's joke, it's great. He said, you know, before you're married, you're like a tick. And you think the other person's a big, fat, juicy dog. He said, you get on the other side of marriage and you realize there's two ticks and no dog. (laughs) And what he's trying to say is that we're all like Bill Murray and what about Bob? I want, I want, I need, I need. And we're, I want, I want, I need, I need. I'm looking for something for my soul. Please, completely, I need rest on the inside. And we're going to each other in this parasitic way. And we're trying to suck life out of each other. And God says, water is not found there. That is a broken cistern. 
Stop building them and just come to me. All of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. But we don't. We wander around in this dry and weary land looking for love and light and life. And Jesus, I'm right here. Just turn to me. You know the word repentance just simply means turn? Do you know that's what it means? Take your eyes off the world and put them on Jesus. And when you do, everything grows strangely dim. Why? Because you find what you've been looking for all the time in Him. Pascal said, I have a God-shaped vacuum in my soul that nothing but God Himself will fill. So we have to tell ourselves this over and over and over again. This week, would you please do me a favor? Just at least memorize that first verse. My soul finds rest in God alone. Say it with me. My soul finds rest in God alone. So you have it memorized. Now, I would encourage you to go on and memorize the next few. Listen, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How many of you want to be able to proclaim proudly and clearly in the Lord, I will never be shaken? You see, that's what God wants for you. He wants you to be so deeply rooted that you can say, oh no, he's my refuge, he's my stronghold, he's my tower, he's my fortress. I will never be shaken because of him. He's always there for me. His promises are good for me and he uses all things to my good. What more could I be afraid of? So David tells this truth to himself creatively and redundantly all over and over and over again. But he also says it to someone else, his enemies. How many of you would say you have enemies? Now, everyone in this room should have their head up, hand up. You know why? You have an enemy and his name is Satan. And he has this thing called a demonic horde. And there are literally demons that want to wreak havoc in, this, in your soul. How many of you have enemies? Okay, good. Yeah, a little more people's hands went up. So listen to what the Lord's saying here. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw him down this leaning? How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. And then he says, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. Now listen, my salvation and my honor depend on God. Can you say those words? My salvation and my honor depend on God. How many of you have ever felt dishonored by somebody else here on planet earth? Why? Because you're holy and other people are sinful. I don't know if anybody ever told you this truth, but people are going to dishonor you. And, and they dishonored Jesus like crazy. They still to this day, they use his name as a curse word. And they dishonor him frequently. But not only that, when he walked here on planet Earth, a lot of people dis dishonored him. L let me help you understand something. If you follow Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. It's not a question of if. It's a question of how and when. You're going to be persecuted. Now, you've got to understand something. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, places, and rulers of darkness. You know who's really persecuting it? It's Satan. He wants to push you down. Look, you bought the farm. He can't keep you from doing that anymore. You're going home to Jesus forever. He can't keep you from that anymore. He can't steal that away from you. That makes him incredibly frustrated. So what's he want to do? He wants to render you ineffective. How? 
by causing you to be harried and hurried in your soul. He wants you to be filled with anger, resentment, bitterness. He wants you to be all tangled up inside. And if he does that, he won't keep you from going home to be with Jesus, but what he will do is render you ineffective as a light for the Lord. This persecution comes to you as a child of God. It just comes in ways that we do not expect sometimes. Look, if it came clearly, which in this country it may come clearly someday soon, then I think you're going to see the bride of Jesus rise up in an unprecedented way. You know why? Because I see it in third world countries where people are persecuted every day. And can I tell you, there are some unbelievably flippant strong warriors of the faith in those countries. You know why? Because they've been persecuted. Here it is, God's using what the enemy intends for evil, God is using for good. This is our assurance that God will use all things to good in our lives. And when you walk in this kind of rest, believe me, you become someone to be contended with. Many years ago, before the fall of the Iron Curtain, there was a prominent pastor in communist Romania who was thrown out of the country because of his faith. His name was Joseph Tyson. He, took, um, he told of a time when an officer had threatened and intended to kill him because of his apparent and deep faith in Christ. This was a man who was preaching the gospel in a communist country. And these, these people are amazing <laughs> for the Lord. These are like oaks of righteousness, right? And so this dude is going around preaching the faith, and then this guard comes to him and says, if you don't shut up, I'm going to kill you, and then he just keeps preaching the gospel. So when he was faced with what appeared to be his eminent death, this is what Joseph said. He said, sir, let me explain this how I see it. He said, your supreme weapon is killing my supreme weapon is dying. He said, this is how it works. You know that my sermons on tape have been spread all over this country. If you kill me, those per sermons will be sprinkled with my blood. Everyone will know that I died for preaching, and everyone who has a tape will pick it up, and they will say, I'd better listen to what this man preached, because he really meant it. He was willing to give his life for it. So, sir, my sermons will speak ten times louder than they do now. Do as you like, but my God will not be silenced. After a brief moment of silence, the officer sent him home. You see, when we decide to rest in Christ, we have this ground bedrock in our soul that says, you can take my body, but God will take my soul. You know, the enemy may take me out, but God's going to take me home. So what do I have to fear? Oh, death, where is thy sting? This dude here is saying, like, I got nothing to be afraid of. Why? Because my soul finds rest in God alone. You need to understand the application of this in your life because most of you are not facing this kind of persecution. You may someday, but you're not now. The question is, are you ready? The kind of persecution that you're facing now comes far more subtly to you. You could probably address it in a whole different way if it was as direct as if it was for Joseph Tyson here, but your persecution comes through the demonic horde, and the demonic horde uses people around you, most often those that are closest to you. This gets a little dicey. A lot of people don't preach on these kind of verses, but I'm going to go here. All right, listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 10. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth, but I've come to bring, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Listen, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. 
Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What is Jesus saying here? Well, let's first of all help you understand something. He is saying that the members of your own family will be your enemies. That's tough teaching. Now, let me remind you what Jesus says you're supposed to do with your enemies. What does he say you're supposed to do with your enemies? Love them. Forgive them. Lift them up. He says, what good is it if you just love people who love you back? You're supposed to love those who persecute you. Pray for them. Pour out goodness on them, the goodness of God. So look, you got to understand something. Most of us get tangled up on our family relationships. I'm getting ready to preach this message. What do you think came my way yesterday? Can I tell you a whole lot of stuff? Now, by the grace of God, everybody's still standing. Nobody bled or anything like that. But can I tell you, there was some angst and some conflict and all this other kind of stuff. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for helping me to grow deeper in you. But I want to come back to this word, expectations. What do you expect from the people around you? Do you expect them to be God for you? They never will be. And your soul will not find rest in them. I tell you that, there will be places where it'll happen. You can be grateful for those gifts where God uses that person in your life or other people in your life to help meet some of your needs. But can I tell you, every single one of us are walking here with expectations, and those expectations can be unknown by us. Sometimes we're expecting people to be God, and we don't even know it. We're just, oh, this is the way a husband's supposed to weigh. This is the way a wife's supposed to be. Well, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to make me feel good all the time. Ah! That's not what they're supposed to do. Have you ever heard the scripture that says, iron sharpens iron? Have you ever sharpened iron? It's not a mild process. Can I tell you that, that our expectations could be unknown by us? They can be unspoken and they can be unrealistic. If you put all three of them together, that's a killer for, for relationships. I don't know what I'm expecting. I'm not saying it out loud, and it's completely unrealistic to begin with. I've had people angry at me over the years, of course, in my family, but even outside the family in the church. I remember sitting with a guy that was like three times my size, and he was rather intimidating, and he was very angry at me. And I was in my office with him alone. And I'm saying, my soul finds rest in God alone. My soul finds rest in God alone. <laughs> and I was trying to find out why he was so angry at me. And after listening, you know, using my listening techniques and stuff and asking good open questions, he comes out with this thing. He goes, I want you to spend time with me. I said, oh, is that what you want? He says, yeah, you know, you'll spend time with me. That means you don't like me. And I said, oh, is that what you think? And he said, yeah. And I said, can I tell you something? He said, what? I said, I love you. He said, you love me? I said, yeah, but I can't spend time with you. <laughs> well, if you love me, you'd spend time with me. No, that's not true. I got to be honest with you. I got a family. I got a wife. I got a bunch of people on the inner circle. I got a bunch of people. I can't spend time with you. I love you, though. I didn't like that. But can I tell you, you walked away with a clear set of expectations from me. I wasn't going to be spending time with them. You're like, how can you be so heartless, Jeff? No, I'm just being honest. Can you be that honest with people around you? If your wife's all tied up over something and she says, well, I expect you to do this, or your husband's all tied up over something, I expect you to do this, and you go, oh, honey, I love you. I can't give you that. 
Only God can give you that. And maybe there's some other places that that can happen for you. But listen, God wants us to be very clear that we will never find life and water and light in those around us. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 7 says. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have spouses should live as they do not. What? Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. What's he saying? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the only one, the author and perfecter of faith, that's going to bring rest to your soul. Listen, what we're talking about when we talk about people has been labeled by social scientists as codependency. Now, codependency is is probably the most understandable form of idolatry. Why? Because when I look at you, I see a tangible image bearer of God. And so it's only right and, and fair that I would kind of expect you to be God for me. And you can give some of the goodness of God to me, but you cannot be God to me. I always say tree huggers are ahead of materialists. The guy that's putting his hope in his car is actually not as close to the guy who's hugging a tree. Because the tree bears the image of God more fully than the car does. But when you look at somebody else, a spouse or a friend, and you expect them to be God for you, like you're even closer to God, but you're still falling short. Why? Because your soul finds rest in God alone. Your salvation comes from Him. He alone is your rock and your salvation. He's your fortress. If you trust in Him, you will never be shaken. David proclaims this truth to everyone around him. Listen, he says, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. The lowborn are but a breath, and the highborn are but a lie. If weighed in a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. Some powerful words. He, he strikes at this whole comparative thing. He's like, look, the lowborn men, they're just but a breath. The highborn, oh, they're just a lie. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, folks. We're all the same before Jesus, sinful in need of a Savior. And when we're saved, we're all the same. We're children of the Most High God, sons and daughters. And so let's cut to the trace. The reason why we don't trust rest is because we don't trust in God. And this is what he says, trust in him at all times, O ye people. You see, this lie is the first weed in the garden. It's the first weed that was ever planted in the garden. Listen, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, or you must not touch it, or you will die. She added the touching part. But she had gone to Sunday school. She got most of it right. And then he goes, you will most certainly not die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Can I tell you what the lie is here? The lie is this. He's holding out on you. You can have more apart from him. You're not going to die. That's not true. What he said is not true. If you take of what he told you not to take up, you're not going to die. But your eyes are going to be open and you're going to be able to be your own God. You see, when your trust in God is eroded, what are you left with? You either entrust yourself to other people or you entrust yourself to yourself. And your soul has no rest. You start 
digging cisterns that cannot hold water. Listen to 1 Chronicles 5.20. They cried out to God. They answered their prayers because they trusted him. Psalm 28, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him. Psalm 37.5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. Psalm 40, verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see the, and fear the Lord and put their trust in in him, Isaiah 25, 9, this is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad. Nahum 1, 7, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. I could go on and on and on and on. And the Lord says that we're to spread this message, the good news of Jesus Christ, everywhere we go. We're to tell people they're loved and they're valued. And you've been entrusting yourself to the things of this world, and that's why your soul is so battered. You can entrust yourself to him. God made a way in the person of Jesus Christ for you to come home. And when you come home, you'll be at rest in him. Every single one of us has been entrusted with this message to carry to those around us. So we tell ourselves, we tell our enemies, we proclaim to everybody around us, and we proclaim the truth to God. You see, David, at the end of this, says, one thing God has spoken, two things I've heard, that you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you reward every person according to what he or she has done. Listen, in other words, Lord, you are in control you exercise all power and authority, and you have poured out your unfailing love on me. You will ultimately judge and deal with every situation and every person that has been tormenting me. I affirm that. I claim and I proclaim and agree with your truth today that God, my soul, finds rest in you alone. Can you say that with me? My soul finds rest in God alone. You see, when you tell God this, that's called worship. Because now you're ascribing to God what belongs solely to him. And when you do that, God inhabits the praises of his people. And he sets your mind and your soul at rest in his presence. I'd like you to stand with me as, as we close our time. I'd like you to take a moment right now and shift your attention to our creator and our king. But you just acknowledge in the quietness of your own heart and close your eyes if you'd like his presence, his promises, his providence in your life. I'd like you to say these words out loud with me. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Lord Jesus Christ, we acknowledge you alone are the hope for our souls. We've searched the world for a love that could fill our hearts, God, but nothing Nothing satisfies the way that you do. So Lord, I pray now that you'd help us to worship you in spirit and in truth and that we would leave this space today knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that we can come to you and that we can find rest for our souls.
pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said. I want to encourage you today, at any point where we're singing this song, if you'd like to come down front and worship with me, just as an indication that you want to live in this truth that your soul was made for God. You've been looking for rest in all the wrong places. You just want to step forward and say, God, I'm, I'm renewing my commitment to you today that my soul finds rest in you alone. And God, I want to stop trying to milk my rest out of what this world has to offer, the people, the places, and things around me. God, I want to be dedicated to you. I want to lift my soul up to you, Lord, because you are the one who will fill me with your rest. Just feel free to come forward and worship with me today up front. I'm going to be up here worshiping the Lord. Let's sing together.